0: I'll tell you, uh, six months ago, as we began to prepare for this series and began to think and pray about this Sunday, uh, even back then, I began to think, man, I I don't really want to teach that week. Can't we just find someone else to do this? There's a great Simpson episode about that, but can't we find someone else to do this? And I realized, no. And the last few weeks, if I've been really doing the final preparation for this, I have become so excited to share this message with you. Um, if, if you're new, I, I want to kind of break the ice a little bit, and because I know that we have people here live or watching online that are wanting to know, they're going to be checking the whole time, what do we believe on this issue? First off, I always think this topic is a way better one-on-one conversation than it is a sermon series. And most of the time when we get the question, we will want to have coffee with you. We will want to talk about this face to face because the disadvantage I have right now is I don't get to hear the response immediately of what you're thinking or what your thoughts on this. Not most of us, but pretty much all of us are in some way, shape or form have an opinion or affected by the topic that we're addressing. There are those of us uh, who have grown up in the church and we've been around Christianity and we have a general idea of what the Bible teaches on this subject. There are people that will be here throughout the morning and online who do consider themselves and identify as gay or lesbian or in the LGBT community. We will have people here this morning whose child uh, considers themselves gay or lesbian We will have people here this morning that uh, have never had a friend who was not straight. We will have people all over the spectrum. So let's just admit it is impossible to address all of those things at once. And that's much better done in a personal conversation. And rather than putting the boxing gloves on this morning to debate with one another, my goal by the end of this is to really begin the honest conversation that we've said we would start on this topic. That we could actually see Jesus minister to all people. And so I want to break the ice and let everybody know uh, we are a welcoming but not affirming church, if that helps you. So when I said that uh, Rebecca and Kayla are one of a number of people in our, our church this morning that may have disagreements on some of what I'm going to teach. And it's okay to admit that we can talk to each other about those things. I think that's a good and healthy thing. But that doesn't mean that we can't share what uh, I believe and our our leadership believes on this issue. And I'll talk a lot about that. So if that helps you this morning just to know uh, what I mean by that is, when I say that we're we're not an affirming church, we we wouldn't do a gay or lesbian wedding. Um, However, when I say that we are a welcoming church, We would love and minister to anybody right where they're at, and that you will find that not only people attend our church, that anybody can volunteer within the life of our church. It's only in areas of leadership where we set any standards. And beyond that, when I say standard, I believe we're casting a vision for the life that God desires for us, and we don't just apply that to one people group. In fact, the bigger issue of this within our local churches actually has nothing to do with sex or sexuality. It has to do with what I would say is unrepentant sin issues that nobody draws attention to in the lives of our church. This is one that is all over the news. It's all over the place. It's very obvious. There is plenty of other unrepentant sin issues in this room with us right now that are just a big deal that we have to address as well. So I want you to know we don't just apply this to one area. We apply it across the board so i'm going to read this morning what i feel is the most important bible verse when it comes to addressing this particular issue you ready for this i'm going to begin and end with these verses revelation chapter 21 revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 4 has nothing to do with the issue we're talking about but i think it's the most important one for us to begin with. Are we ready to study God's word together this morning, church? Okay, here we go. Revelation 21, and normally we work through one passage. There's so many verses I want to share with you on this issue. We're going to be going through a lot of Bible verses, so just be prepared for that. Revelation 21, verse 1. It's a picture of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea away. Do you believe those things? I believe, we believe that as Christians, that Jesus will return. He will set the world right. The the new heaven and the new earth. We will spend eternity with God in paradise. He will dwell with us. There'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. So the things that we're addressing this morning, they matter. And not just to the LGBT community. So don't skip ahead here. It, It matters to all of us. It matters how we follow Jesus on this issue and all such issues that are controversial in our lives. So I want to tell you, wherever you're at on this issue, I'm coming from it with, I love Jesus. I believe we're going to heaven, and that's why this stuff matters. This life is just a short period of time. Eternity is where we really want to live with God forever. Will you pray with me as we dive into this stuff? And I'm going to come back to that passage at the end. God, people matter. Eternity matters. The things we're addressing matter. How we behave as Christians matters. God, whether we approach things the way that you did, Jesus, or the way that we think we should, it matters. And so, God, we just pray that we would get from whatever verses of Scripture we read that you desire for us and take away any words of mine that don't line up with it. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would just speak directly to us, We acknowledge your presence here in this room with us right now. God, we pray that you would release any tension or fear or anxiety that's in the room right now. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just enable us to see you with fresh eyes through Scripture. We love you. We dedicate this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I'll never forget one of the first times I was confronted with this issue. I had just become a Christian at that time. I was attending college here somewhere in the state of Indiana, the great uh, DePaul University. Thank you, the one person in the room that likes that. Not a lot of Christians there, but anyway. I found Christ there on the campus and I began to get involved in ministry on campus and with a couple of friends, we went down to the circle here in Indianapolis and interviewed people about what their thoughts were about the church and Christians. This is a long time ago. Walked around the circle, interviewed a number of people. There was one person who got very, very, very angry when I asked that question. And his face got very red. And he looked at us, and he began to almost shake. And he said, I don't like Christians. I don't like the church. And they don't represent Jesus. And he began to explain to us that we had to figure it out, but we began to realize this person identified as a gay man, And he had been belittled, he had been shamed, and embarrassed over this issue for at least much of his upbringing. And he was very angry over it. Now, we can just have all different opinions of why that he is angry, and what we should do, but one thing we have to admit is, we can't just pass over that, and act like that isn't representative sometimes of how the, the Bible in the... Christians are received within our culture. The church has done, I believe, you don't have to believe this, okay, I believe the church has done a horrible job at demonstrating the compassion of Jesus to many people, but in particular, this community. Yet what the Bible says and culture communicates are very different on that subject. I believe again, you don't have to believe all of it. And what I want to demonstrate to you this morning is I want to ask uh, some questions about what the Bible actually teaches on this and what it doesn't. And then I want to respond, well, as a Christian, well, how do you live in this area? And then I want to get to the, what I think is the most important thing, and that is coming back to Revelation 21. Are we ready to do all that? See, here's the thing. We're not going to teach about this subject differently than we do all the other subjects we addressed. I, I come up here and I talk about honoring God with your finances sometimes. I tell people that they should surrender the first, not the last 10% of their finances. And that at the very least, the New Testament is full of passages that talk about greed within our culture. In fact, it's the thing in Malachi that the guy gets angry about because the Israelites had been robbing him of their tithes. Not because he needed their money, but because he wanted them to rely on him. I get up and share that sometimes. That's not a very widely accepted viewpoint in our culture, is it? Our culture does not tell you to give your funds away and be generous and give the first 10%, not the last 10%. They tell you you earned that money, you earned the right to do with what you want with it, do what you want, and if you got some left over to be generous, well, good for you, you're rich enough to do it. It's very different, and I've done that many times. I've taught on that last week, I taught on that you should not have sex until you are married, according to the scripture, that God wants the best vision and version for your sexual life, that he's given the gift of sex. He's the one that made it and created it for procreation. He made it pleasurable. He's the one that did that. We shouldn't have a negative view of it, but the boundaries he has set is to give you a better vision of what your sexual life could look like. I said that about keeping the marriage bed pure and, Fleeing from sexual immorality for those who aren't married and participating in sex. I said that with people who are in the room and having sex before they're married. I did that. I, I talked uh, even last week. I said that Jesus says that if you even think a lustful thought, you have already committed adultery in your own heart. I said that last week. And I got to tell you, for for those people that are here this morning or watching online, and you heard me say that, I I did not once get called a bigot for any of those things I said. Not once. It's okay for us to have a difference of opinion sometimes. That's okay. I am certainly not doing this for my health. (laughs) I'm certainly not doing this because I woke up one day and was like, man, I really desire to bring this subject up in front of a thousand people at one time. or doing this because I believe it's okay to do this. I've taught these things and we can have disagreements sometime. I once uh, told a friend, even a very close family friend, that I wouldn't perform their wedding because one of them was a Christian and one of them was not a Christian. And the Bible teaches that we should be equally yoked. I want to apply this and teach on this the same way we do with every topic. And I share that because the first half of this is I teach on the Bible. I want those who are here this morning and you're either from the gay or lesbian community or watching online. I told some ladies last week, I'm not here to call you out. You can participate in the life of this church. You can come here. We love you. I believe Jesus loves you. I'm just teaching on this the same way I would with any other topic and for some that are watching online or here live and you've got a family member or friend that has um, dealt with this issue within our society and culture and you've seen some of the pain that they've gone through you often are more fired up about this than the person who's actually living it and I want you to know that's okay thank you for your love for your friend but it's okay for me to share what I believe the Bible teaches so here we go without further ado number one if you're taking notes it's gonna be fun this morning isn't it You'll walk out of here and all this stress will just fall away from your shoulders. You'll feel so much uh, better about the rest of your week. First of all, what does the Bible say? Uh, Does the Bible say that homosexuality is wrong? I want to guide our conversation a little bit. Uh, Many people often begin in Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem there, I believe, is that it's also talking about rape. And so it it really is a more complex conversation than to simply apply it to what we're dealing with today. I don't think it's necessarily completely um, not relevant, but it's just I want to tell you as a follower of Jesus, I don't find that being a very effective place to begin because it's a complex passage. Leviticus chapter eighteen. See in Leviticus chapter eighteen, it's not going to be up there. It talks about the that's the famous abomination passage, right? Uh, says that same sex sexual acts that's an abomination, and. It, Inevitably, everyone will bring up, and they probably watched that great clip from the West Wing where he goes off on a tangent on this about how, well, Leviticus 18, they also says in Leviticus that you shouldn't wear clothing with two types of materials on it, that you shouldn't get tattoos. And and we go through all these Levitical things. Now, I don't think it's necessarily a horrible place to address the issue. The problem is that Leviticus is not meant to be read like that. And there is a difference between the civil code on how we should live in a time period where it was not clean to live as a human being. And the moral code that we read in the Old Testament. And I believe most of Leviticus 18 would be included in the moral code. But I don't think that's the best place for us to start because it's a long conversation to explain all of that. Romans chapter 1 is usually where I I begin. And Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 21, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, begins like this. God is beginning to demonstrate how he's frustrated with the community as they have not responded to him. And he's talking about humanity. In verse uh, 21, he says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. It says that they gave up on God, and instead participated in what we would call idolatry, where we place something before God. And they began to worship these false images. Verse 24. Therefore, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. I want to tell you, we have a number of people that watch watching this line. And, and you will you, you'll get frustrated by this passage. And, and you may have even just got angry at me for reading that out loud. And I, I want to apologize. That is not my goal this morning. Not my goal. Um, I believe that that passage is important. Put uh, verse 27 up there again. And this is one of those that I want you to know, scholars, if you read the NRSV, the Oxford version, they will change some of the language here and uh, talk about that it's describing sodomy, which that would be a break from the history of how that passage would have been translated. And so I don't fall in line with that. And and most uh, Christians today do not. However, some do. But I believe this is pretty clear about the topic and the issue that we're addressing this morning. And I do believe that it's one of many, 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 many forms of sexual sin. And that is something in our culture that is just, man, it angers people. And there aren't, I, I mentioned uh, Rebecca and Kaylee who came up here, there aren't many people like that that are brave enough to participate in the church and not just get angry over reading that passage. And so that's why, man, I'm just so thankful for people like that, that we can have disagreements on an issue. Our job, though, is to teach, yes, the truth of Scripture, but our job is also to point people to Jesus. The reality is we can't change people's minds, and we don't try to on other subjects. But for some reason, this is the one we love to make very public. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a number of verses like this, uh, verses 9 to 11, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, that's porneo that applies to all kinds of sexual immorality. We talked about and defined that last week. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now here, I want to preface again, just like I did last week. I believe God is trying to prevent separation from us. That's what, anytime these issues come up, I believe God desires us, loves us, every single person, not just some people. He loves every single person in this room. He loves every single person online. And I believe that he's trying to give us the best picture vision for our life. And he, he desires for us not to have separation from us. I had a great friend who was not gay or lesbian, who I saw posting online on this a few years ago. doesn't live here in Indiana, so it's no one in the room. And I remember him getting very upset over this issue because aren't we all sinners, right? Like we all have sin, and we all have some of us in the room. We are learning about our unrepentant sin, right, because there's some differences there. Definitely true, definitely true. But I want to address this a little bit not so much for what we're talking about this week, but almost more for what we talked about last week, that I think it would be wrong to say that all sin is the same, right? All sin is forgiven the same because God is all-powerful, and so we can approach it the same, but not all sin is the same. If I go home and I tell my wife uh, a white lie uh, about why I didn't stop at the grocery store, and I really forgot, and I say something about, well, I didn't Uh, somebody asked me to do something like that's a lie and it's wrong and I need to be forgiven but that doesn't have the same repercussions if instead of forgetting to go get milk at the grocery store and lying about it I cheated on my spouse with 20 different people and didn't tell her about it lied about it for years the repercussions of one is greater than the other and the Bible actually speaks to that I read this verse last week and it says this in uh In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a little bit later than the passage we just read in verses 18 to 21, it says, flee from sexual immorality, porneo. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, God, honor God with your bodies. So I thought it was important for me to share that. Because to my friends who are struggling with premarital sex issues or to my friends who are watching online and you disagree with me about the things that we're teaching this morning, thank you for sticking with us and watching online through this. The only reason I I really care about this is because I believe that passage in others to be true. It's not because I don't like you and I wouldn't hang out with you and we could go to a baseball game together, whatever you want to do. Like, well, I'd love to hang out with you. And it'd be a lot easier for me to not teach these things. But I believe that it's there in Scripture, and so I believe that we should teach on these things. Now, that passage mentioned something earlier in verses 9 through 11 that I think is really important for us to address. Does this mean that the LGBTQ community is going to hell? And I want to be very clear on this. It is not our job to determine who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. It's not our job. That's God's job. And the response could be, you can push back. Again, you can disagree with me on this stuff. It just said there you will not inherit eternal life. But did you catch that it applied that to all kinds of other issues that are also in the room right now? It said in those verses that neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the sl- slanderers, or the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean for the gossips in the room right now, because you gossip sometimes, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God? Does that mean for the people who drank too much uh, last night at the Dave Matthews Band concert that you will not inherit the kingdom of God? I, I don't have the answer to that. Only God has the answer to that. It has to do, Scripture is extremely clear on this, salvation is by faith alone, by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And then verse 10 talks about, but you see the, the good works we do is in response to the grace we have received from Jesus. Yes, there are outward signs that Jesus has changed our life, but he also sometimes, we surrender certain areas, we find freedom in certain areas, and we continue to struggle and deal and have questions with other areas. That happens to every person, not just people dealing with sexual sin. So I, I, I can't share enough. If you want to know my opinion, I think we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to find out many of the people that we shared life with, we attended church with together, we participated and helped the community out, we're going to get to heaven and find out they 'd never really found their salvation in Jesus. They found it in their good works. And we're going to go, I can't believe that person's not here. And I don't know, we may find when we get there that there are those people take this issue out for a moment, who we just were like, they don't look like the Christian that they should look like. And they authentically had a faith in Christ, or they found it later in life. It's not our place to describe who will uh, inherit eternal life and who will not. And I I say that because, man, uh, we're really impatient on this issue. And then I find when it comes to the issue of like greed or gossiping, we're very patient. We're very patient. We live in the wealthiest culture in human history. Jesus talked about how we honor him with our finances more than about any other issue, much more than he does this issue throughout the New Testament. And I believe that first 10%, not the last, is representative of that. But you don't even have to agree with that. Just greed in general is such a pervasive thing in our culture. And so when we ask somebody to surrender 10%, What we're really doing is saying, you find your identity and your finances and your worth because you earned it. And we're asking you to put the first 10% towards him, give up 10% of your identity. When we deal with this topic, we are asking somebody to give up a hundred percent, a hundred percent of their identity. And so we have to change a little bit that we can't approach this so bluntly with this issue and not on other issues. It's not fair. It's not fair, and I don't think it's what Jesus demonstrated to us. I think the Bible is clear. Yes, uh, this is one form of sexual sin. And yes, we are all sinners, but this one, like all sexual sin, can have uh, repercussions that we're not even aware of. But that does not mean we treat it like this special issue that other people don't have other major issues and tell people we know exactly they're going to hell and you don't actually know Jesus and, and you've never read your Bible and things that we don't know whether or not they are true. God does, but we don't know. So here's a big question. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think this is more of a conversation starter. The big one I get back to is, did God make me gay? Because you probably have friends or family who have dealt with this issue, and the first thing you'll say is, like, I didn't choose this. It either happened or it chose me or I've always been this way. I want to address that for a second. Did God make uh, someone gay? Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Again, I don't have all the answers. Take away from scripture what you want and desire. And I I pray that Jesus speaks to you through this. Genesis 1, 27. So God created uh, mankind or humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and he created them straight and gay. And he created them whatever other issue that we could apply there. Essentially, he doesn't say that doesn't say that he created anybody straight. I I think sometimes we are asking the wrong questions. I don't think that God made me straight and someone else gay. And I'll talk about a little bit of the, uh, give you some books to reference as well um, that you can read on this and you can push back and totally disagree with me on it. Uh, The New Testament, what does the New Testament actually say that you should be primarily what it desires for you to be straight or gay? The answer is neither. Paul says his desire would be th- that you would be celibate. You catch that? Like, his thing is like Jesus is gonna return in any moment, so I just say don't have sex with anybody because you don't have time. Some of you are like, I'd have time, but anyway, sorry. Uh, should not have said that, but that it actually says that we should remain celibate. Um, now, And there is no definitive answer on this in the church or outside the church. Does genetics play a role? Well, possibly. Does environment play a role? Well, possibly. And there are articles out there. I was reading a book this week by uh, Brad Grammer that talks about trauma and continues the discussion on same sex attraction. Um, He's somebody who had only ever been attracted to men, He, he lives here in Indianapolis. By the way, I talked to a whole lot of people on this issue beforehand, straight and gay, and all over the board, and um, it was interesting. The the responses you get aren't what you would think. Um, And he talks about in the book that for him, he'd always been attracted to men, but he he eventually discovered that that had a lot to do with his relationship with his dad. That he had desired a stronger relationship with his father, and because of that, he was always looking for a strong male role model. And, and so that turned into, eventually for him, attraction. This is not saying this happens to everybody or anybody, this happened to him. And after years of finally being honest about this, he began to read his Bible, follow Jesus, and over the course of much time, not only did his attractions change, he, he actually ended up getting married, he has two uh, kids that are in, like 19 and 20 years old, and Look, I'm not telling you anybody came in here this morning, I'm not trying to get you to like change your, you know, sexual lifestyle this morning and, and agree with everything I try and say, I'm trying to be honest with you. And I believe that these issues are much more complex than just to say, oh, I was created this way, or oh, it's just the environment that caused this. In that book, he describes a, a little bit of the science out there that there hasn't been a, a genetic, you know, like the, the gay gene identified or something like that. Not that it may not have more genetic references in the future, but we can't say that. Now, are some people naturally uh, male and a little bit more effeminate, or are some women uh, naturally a little bit more masculine? Well, well, yeah, there is a complete diversity of all kinds of people that God has created created. But I want to share with you the idea and the concept that somebody can change the way that they view uh, relationships. And I've heard this not just from Christians who agree with what I'm saying. I've heard this from gay or lesbian people who disagree with me on this issue, but they agree with this point. You don't have to look inside the church to realize this. There are plenty of celebrities. We love our celebrities, don't we? Plenty of celebrities who have changed their view on this point who are Christian. Uh, Anne H, uh, I've totally mispronounced her last name, sorry uh, Right, she was with Ellen for a long time And she now is married with a child uh, I, I Married a man Cheryl Swoops uh, also had been lesbian And then eventually married a man Marlon Brando Who was known for being a philanderer with women And had four wives that all ended in divorce He also said that he really enjoyed uh, sex with men I don't know if you knew that I saw that online. It may not be true, but <laughs> didn't have a picture of that one. Angelina Jolie. This one we know to be true. Um, she was a lesbian for a number of years, and now she's married to this very ugly man. People. Uh, it's not just Christians that believe that this that people change on this issue. And just so that to say that I'm genetically made in a way that I only can be attracted to a certain thing, I think is a really oversimplification of the issue. And forgive me if that offends you, because l- let me tell you why some of you in the room, you don't realize this, why that could offend somebody. Because much of the life of somebody who has been attracted to the same sex, they have felt this burden, they have felt this. Shame, embarrassment, they have been called out, they have been called horrendous names, their family has extradited them, Want nothing to do with them. And so for them, the only way they found uh, peace was to begin to say, well, this is my identity, it's a way that I am. And when you come to peace with that, some of the things that often happens that we'll talk about a little bit later, for those in the teen years, the suicide rate is ridiculous. And that should, that should hurt our hearts as Christians, is ridiculous over this issue. They, uh, they are able to get beyond that by fi- saying, hey, this is my identity, I found it in that, so forgive me if I offend you in saying that, but I want to tell you, it's not just a Christian response to say that, that you will always be that way. There is much more uh, that goes involved in this. This is a, a complex issue. Number three then, how should a committed Christian act on this issue? I'll be clear on that last one, as far as did God make me gay, I don't think he made you gay or straight. I think he made you a follower of Jesus. He created you for a reason and a purpose and a plan. And that's the most important thing at what we're sharing this morning. And he made you sexual, yes. But I think there is a lot of decisions that we have to make on that. And yes, genetics could play into what you're attracted to some. And environment could play into some. And trauma could play into it some. I don't know for your particular situation. And I wouldn't dare to say and I would much rather listen than tell you. So please tell me because I want to listen. And I'm not just saying that, okay? Like, we really want to listen. How should committed Christians act on this issue? For uh, John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You remember Revelation 21 says, God's going to dwell with us eternal. Well, See, throughout human history, humanity had rebelled against God, and he had pursued him, pursued him, first through the people of Israel, and they rebelled, and he, he sent the prophets, they didn't listen, so he sent his only son, Jesus. And this passage says Jesus, the, the, in that case, the Logos in Greek, he's a reference to Jesus, the word became flesh, excuse me, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Truth. Look down at verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Leave that up there. The law came through Moses in the Old Testament. We believe as Christians, we live under the new covenant that Jesus changed everything with his uh, death and resurrection. And that now grace and truth are meant to be the way that Christians live out their lives. He came to demonstrate that. He gave us that ability to do that. That means as Christians, we don't just have some grace here and some truth here. We have 100% grace and 100% truth at the same time, at the same time. That is not easy. It is very difficult. Jesus demonstrated 100% truth and 100% grace all the time. We use this thing in our discipleship huddles, the grace and truth matrix. i got a picture of it. It's very fancy. And on it, you'll see that when you have a lot of truth but no grace, you create a culture in which you call people out. And that man that I interviewed on Circle Center, who was a, a gay man, he had experienced that a lot within the Christian community. Jesus had 100% truth and 100% grace. If we don't address it, we don't teach truth. If we have 100% grace and we don't have any truth at all, we just create a culture that just wants to hang out, be social, and we're not teaching what Jesus taught. We believe we should have 100% grace and 100% truth. And when you do that, it doesn't come across as hang out. It doesn't come across as call out. It comes across as calling in. Calling into a greater relationship with Jesus. We're not trying to change anyone. We're trying to call you into a greater relationship with Jesus. So that means as Christians, our job, guys, needs to be to point people to him. If we've earned the right for them to ask for our opinion, it's okay to share with them because they're okay hearing it. But what we should lead with is 100% grace and 100% truth that we call them into a greater, passionate relationship with Jesus. And that's all that we desire to do here this morning. Like any other sexual sinner, we should call everyone in. And I believe that we have done that. Like every other uh, non-tithing friend, we should call them in to a greater relationship with Jesus because I believe you're missing out on what God could do with your life when you don't honor in that area or any area. And let's not forget that in Romans chapter 2, right after Romans chapter 1, that I read those verses that I think is pretty clear on the issue, at least for me. Right after that, in Romans chapter 2, the first verse, you get this, I love scripture. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things we should not be quick to judge. I believe you don't have to agree with this. Satan has his best in each of our lives. That, as I described last week, it's like a little lion cub at first. Even though First Peter talks about it, he's a roaring lion, it's like a little lion cub at first, so cute, so kind. I just want to invite that in my life. And then it creates issues that I wasn't aware were going to occur. Brennan Manning says this in the Ragamuffin Gospel: the evil one is the great illusionist. He varnishes the truth and encourages dishonesty. Satan prompts us to give importance to what has no importance. He clothes trivia with glitter and seduces us away from what is real. He causes us to live in a world of delusion, unreality and shadows I believe what he wants to do is just destroy us separate us from God and destroy our culture and we often when you address these issues and other issues in our culture we're like little children that would rather just destroy one another than to teach the love and grace of Jesus and the truth that comes with that the teen bullying and suicide rates are much higher for the LGBTQ questioning queer community If someone is attracted to the same sex, uh, Pastor Andy Stanley said this recently. I get what he's saying, and I I think I agree with it. He says the church should be the safest place, the safest place for somebody to be open and honest about what they view about not only this subject, but other subjects. As Christians, if it doesn't just like hurt our soul, that the suicide rate is much higher for teens who are dealing with this issue, Not only are we not following Jesus, like it's disgusting. It's disgusting. We should care. That there are people who have no idea what to do. And the one place that should be safe about asking questions is the one place where we are shamed and belittled for it. And not just people struggling with it. Parents, I can't tell you as I've studied gone through this how many times I've heard parents who are afraid, are afraid to tell the Christians at their church about their son or daughter that's dealing with the issue. I've I met with a guy this week who... Is a pastor. He also was a gay man for a number of years, and uh, came out of the lifestyle. He's married now, and uh, he's still a young man. He he was sharing with me. He does a um, a, a parents support group for this issue, and the goal is there not to. I mean, obviously, he shares some of the views I shared, but the goal is to get parents to understand how they can keep their convictions and still share compassion to their son or their daughter. That we don't have to give up our convictions to show compassion. We can have 100% grace and 100% truth. We can have 100% compassion and 100% conviction at the same time. And I believe Jesus demonstrated that for us. Uh, We have to begin to think differently about this issue. Final thing. (laughs) I could go all day on this and I'm throwing papers everywhere. Watch out, front row. Final thing is this. If you're a Christian, your greatest identity, take out the issue we're talking about this morning. If you're a Christian... Your greatest identity must be as a son or daughter of the living God. Your greatest and primary one. Even if you disagree with me on this issue. I think scripture is very clear on this. We talked last week, we defined epithemeia in the uh, New Testament. And we demonstrated in three different passages the different ways that it it could be used to talk about this sexual desire. And it could also be used to talk about our desire for God. And that the word demonstrates our dichotomy and within our culture of whether or not we choose to find our identity in God or in what we desire. And I think that this applies not just to this issue, but across the board. Luke chapter 3 verses uh, one or 21 and 22 says this, because this is where Jesus found his identity verse 21 Luke 3 When all the people were being baptized Jesus was baptized too and as he was praying heaven was open and the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son with whom uh, with whom I love who I am well pleased with you I am well pleased that Jesus found his identity and being a son of the living god and he knew because of that he is well pleased with him. By the way, that happened right before he's about to go to the desert and fast for 40 days. And sentence, Satan's going to tempt him with his big three temptations. I think the biggest thing across the board within our culture is our primary identity must be found in Jesus. You may not agree with what I've taught on the Bible and homosexuality, but please let me know if you agree with this. Honestly, let me know. I find some who identify as gay or lesbian and is so entrenched within their identity that, and I get this, you you can't understand me, you're not like me, you can't get it, it's wrong of you to even talk about this because you don't understand me, forgive me if I've come across like that. But as your pastor, I think um, that we've made sex and romantic relationships a much bigger deal than they are intended to be. Uh, was not created straight and you were not created gay, I don't believe you can disagree with me, but that we were created primarily to love Jesus and to serve him in our life, that we shouldn't find our identity in a romantic relationship, whether straight or gay. Our relationship with God is meant to be where we find our identity. If there's something uh, we desire more than God, anything more than God, throughout the, the New Testament and in the Old Testament, anything we desire more than God, that we find our identity in more than God, is idolatry and look we're not just talking about the lgbt community if we find our identity more in what we can acquire in this lifetime with our personal finances we are committing idolatry it's very clear if our uh, favorite sports team i'm not telling you not to root for the colts jesus did but if your favorite sports team is your primary identity that's that's called an idol anything Anything that is more important, where our identity is more fixated than God, is idolatry. I'm going to end with this. Uh, About five months ago, as I was praying on this issue, I wrote this stuff down. And I'm just going to read it to you. I don't ever do that, really. I like to go off the cuff. But I'm going to read this to you because um, I believe God was sharing something with me. And you can disagree. We often want to begin the discussion of LBTQ issues with what is right and wrong, who is sinning and who is not. The gays and lesbians are living sexual lives contrary to God's design for sexuality. They're sinners and they will not inherit eternal life. And then on the other end, we say many Christians are simply bigots who speak of sin as if judging others is not one. Jesus said, love thy neighbor. Maybe they should stop quoting out-of-touch Levitical passages and start following the words of Jesus. I believe both of these are harmful approaches that cast the same combative desire that is not of Christ, They do not lead to greater compassion and conviction and understanding of the issues that face our generation. I said for me, the most important verses is Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. Can you picture it? The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. Do you believe it? They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. From your eyes, from my eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Do you believe this? If you don't believe this, the rest of this message will simply be an asinine lecture for you this morning in which you will become frustrated because the approach to these issues are centered within a different worldview than the one that I have shared with you. I believe that Jesus gave his life so that anyone can live eternally with God simply by repenting of his or her wrongdoing and humbly receiving God's grace. I believe that all of humanity is living in a fallen state, not just some people, dating back to the first humans. I believe that Jesus did not just die, but rose from the grave, defeating death, and that no—that one day he will return to set the world as it should be. And when he does, those who know him and have his mercy will live for, with God forever in paradise. This life is short. We're all going to die. I'm going to die. You are going to die. Eternity is what matters, not the amount of pleasure we acquire within this brief moment in human history. If you believe this, it changes your perspective on everything. It changes your approaches to your finances, you who should marry. It changes your approaches on who you should marry in your life. It changes your approach on what your retirement looks like. It changes your approach on how you raise your kids. It changes your approach on why you go to school. It changes your approach of where you invest your life. It changes everything. If you do not approach your faith this way, if you approach God and your faith and your life, assuming your life will look the same as everybody else's around, just you're going to go to heaven when you die, it will look exactly as the rest of the culture that God's desire is to help you and I succeed in our career and to help us to have three-point-some children and have the house that we desire, and an incredible family, and be loved by others. If that's what we believe, we have misplaced where God values life. Because these are the things we really value. But we all want to love and be loved, to share this existence with others and have them love us for the life that we live. If you approach your faith that it's God's desire, even his duty to supply you with these things, you will have missed the entire point. The love we desire in the life is not just a glimpse of the eternal love he desires with us. It's, it's a glimpse of the ecstatic feeling we will experience when we forever dwell with him. Anything else in this life will pale in comparison it's rude to compare it to what it will be like when the God of the universe who created us, redeemed us, and draw, draws us near to him, dwells with us forever, and we can see him face to face. A good friend of mine shared this email with me, and he was quoting a, a passage from Donald Miller on Blue like Jazz, and I'll summarize it. It says this, he said this atheist went around and interviewed pastors, why they do what they do, and he came to one particular man who changed his opinion. They all talked about these great strategies on how to reach people for Jesus. And this one man, his name is Bill Bright. He started Campus Crusade. It's now called Crew. This one man, when he was asked the question of what Jesus means to you and why you do what he do, he just started crying and just wept. This, I guess he was a large man. And he just started weeping and weeping because he was so in love with Jesus He loved him so much, he just could not envision anything else than to live for that eternal nature of getting to dwell with him forever. And that's what drove him. If you agree or disagree with me on this issue, we must agree that that is the type of love and desire we must have for Jesus. And I believe as we, we follow him and we, we pray to him and we study him and we learn more from him, he's going to iron these things out and we have to stop just calling people out and start calling them in and pointing them to Jesus because he's the author and perfective of our faith. He is the one that changes everything. Would you agree with that? From a Christian perspective, the LGBTQQ conversation must begin there. This life is short. Eternity is long. Our reason for our time on this planet is defined. We are to be loved by God and in turn love him. We are defined by whom. We are not defined by whom we are married or or what happens in the bedroom. I heard a friend this week say we have asked if a sex with his wife fulfilled him. He responded, it's not my wife's job to fulfill me. That's not what sex is intended for. God is meant to fulfill me. It doesn't matter if you're straight or gay. If you find your identity in the bedroom, it will cause Serious issues in your life. We are defined by being a son or daughter of the living God, not our sex or sexuality. Will you pray with me? God, I just, we love everyone in this room and those watching online, and it doesn't even come close to how much you love them. And God, I thank you that you forgive me, that you redeem me from my brokenness. God, that. Even the things I'm unaware of at this time that I've been doing for years, and I'm just, I'm sinning, I'm not following you, I'm not even aware of it yet, God. I thank you, God, when you point it out, and I can repent and begin to change and to follow you. Lord, I want my primary identity to be in you, Jesus, to love you, first and foremost, more than anything else, that I don't find my identity in anything else. And God, we desire that as a community. I want to make clear, God, right now for some of us, we've been talking about uh, gay and lesbian issues, and you've been talking to some of the people in the room about something else. Some of the people in the room right now, they have put your identity in their finances. Some of the people in the room right now, they've put their identity in having sex with their spouse, and when they don't get it, they're, they're devastated. God, there are some that they find our identity right now. You've been speaking to them about their career You've been speaking to them about their children and the idolatry they have placed there. God, wherever right now you have been speaking to us about our misplaced identity, God, may you convict us, may we turn to you, may we repent and get to do that, God, and we would look forward to that word, and we surrender this moment to you. So I just want to invite everybody, everybody right now, if there is something in your life that God is beginning to point out, that you have put before him, I want to give you the opportunity to just surrender that to Him. Just take a moment right now, and I just want you to talk to Him, share it with Him, ask for the forgiveness. Forgive us, God. We want to have the love like you gave Bill Bright and others. We desire you, we love you, we can't wait for heaven. We can't wait to live with you eternally. And may you orient our lives to do the most of what we can with the time you've given us on this planet. And maybe there's somebody, even one person, watching online or here live that just, they've never been a Christian and they would like to surrender everything to you. I want to give you that opportunity. Pray this silently as I pray it out loud. Gotta I confess, I am not perfect. Forgive me for right wrongdoing. I want you to be my primary reason for existing on this planet. And I surrender everything to you because of your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for your grace and your truth. I surrender to you. Lord, honor the person who just prayed that prayer, God. May they turn to you. May they begin to study your word, grow, ask the right questions, God. We thank you for the honesty that's in this room right now, for those willing to talk about these things. We pray you, we give you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's family said. Amen. Amen.